Hello, family! I hope this holiday season has been treating y'all well. And it's hard to believe that we are a handful of days away from the new year. But it's Friday, and that means it's family time. So settle in, fam, because today we are welcoming back the wonderful Erin Nee and meeting the amazing Mila Kanomas from OCD Set Free. I'm Nicole Morris, licensed marriage and family therapist and mental health correspondent. And let me be the first to say, welcome to the family. The OCD family, that is. I am here to create a community of support for family members, spouses, partners, parents, adult children, as there may be adult words, and chosen family of OCD sufferers and their community. I've had over 22 years of experience in the mental health field, but please note that this information does not qualify or substitute as a diagnostic evaluation, therapy, or treatment, and it is presented on an as-is basis. Please follow up with a qualified mental health provider in your area regarding concerns for yourself or loved ones. Thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get started. All righty, fam. So, it's crazy to think, but this is our last episode of 2023. And wow, what a year it has been. Our OCD family community has grown so much, which really is just so special to me. Because you know what, fam? With more voices, more understanding, more learning, there's more hope. And our ability to see, recognize, and increase visibility for what OCD does to relationships, to our loved ones, to our chosen family, it's so important. So thank you, fam, for being here, for showing up, for downloading and sharing this information with others, for leaving your reviews. All of it makes such an impact. And I see you. And I thank you. Also, I wanted to express my heartfelt gratitude to all of our guests from this past year. Whether you're a clinician or researcher, a lived experience warrior, a family member, spouse, or partner, you have graciously shared your story, your expertise, the growing research, and the calls for action that are so needed in continuing the growth in understanding, treatment, research, and more. And I'm constantly pinching myself, fam, about the amazing guests and panels that have given really just so freely of their time. And today is no exception, fam. Because Erin and Mila and the work that is being done out of OCD Set Free is so powerful, and I can't wait for you to hear more. So let me just take a few moments to brag about Erin and Mila, and then we'll get started. Now, Erin is a return guest fam because she joined me along with Bianca Simmons this past spring during season one to talk about their dynamic work through the RP Kaleidoscope, a networking membership association during my intersectionality series. But Erin is also a licensed clinical social worker and OCD specialist based out of the metro Atlanta area here in the States. She's the clinical director and owner of OCD Set Free, which is an interactive mental health treatment facility that supports individuals living with obsessive compulsive disorder and related disorders. Through OCD Set Free, Erin currently offers compassionate therapeutic support to clients living with OCD in not only Georgia, but also in Alabama and Florida. And Erin also specializes in training therapy practices, clinics, and community mental health programs across the Northeast in converting their mental health facilities to be more OCD treatment-focused. Across the span of Erin's 15-year clinical career, she is focused on grief and loss, trauma, as well as OCD and related disorders. 
Her OCD advocacy and global health interests have resulted in Erin's participation in the International OCD Foundation's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Action Council. And she's also been invited to serve as faculty for the Foundation's Behavioral Therapy Training Institute. And as I mentioned just a few moments ago, she is the co-founder of ERP Kaleidoscope, a networking membership association for BIPOC individuals living with OCD and BIPOC therapists who treat or are interested in learning how to treat OCD and obsessive-compulsive spectrum disorders. Ultimately, though, Erin's biggest reward is seeing all populations, all, all, fam, embrace uncertainty and benefit from successfully treated OCD. And so we are so happy to have Erin back with us and to also welcome Mila Kanomas. Mila serves as the social media marketing manager for OCD Set Free. And if you have spent any amount of time on Instagram or Facebook, she is doing amazing work over there. And in fact, you'll see both Mila and Erin talking with, engaging with, and sharing resources for the OCD community. And Mila is amazing. She's a poet, a writer, an artist, and a creator. She's been featured on CNN as well as LA Times, National Geographic, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Reckon, and the Adapted Podcast. And now, Mila, we get to add on OCD Family Podcast, which is a true pleasure. She's done so much work, but she has come into this role and really created a bridge to help all people know, everyone, that they are welcome, that there is hope, and to authentically connect with those suffering and hurting from the wreckage that OCD can bring. And on an aside, I just have to say, the woman has style. I love your style, Mila. I've, I've told her this a couple times over. She's got amazing, like, how many shades of glasses? I don't even know, but she is living art, y'all. And so I am just so pleased to be able to introduce you guys and for my opportunity even to get to know her better as we talk today, fam. So without further ado... Let's get to it. Well, welcome back to the OCD Family Podcast. I am so thrilled today because I get to welcome two fabulous women that are doing so much important work, important advocacy, and I am just beyond honored to have you both with us today and introduce you guys to the fam. So I am introducing both Mila Konomis. And Erin Nee from OCD Set Free. Erin, you might recognize her voice at the very least because she was on last season to talk about ERP Kaleidoscope that she has created with Bianca. But today is about the amazing work that Mila and Erin have cultivated. And so first of all, welcome, ladies. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for reaching out to Mila. And it's so good to see you again. And it's crazy that I'm seeing you again virtually when I had an opportunity to see you in person, but didn't get that opportunity through the conference. So I, I was super bummed about that. But, I was uh, too, because we were going to eat because we're both celiacs. And I, I, I don't know if you want me to continue to air that, but I was like, we are in a city that was made for people, all people of all dietary needs. So Yes, yes. But it is nice to see you virtually again. And Mila, welcome. Thank you so much for reaching out. I'm really excited to be here as well. Absolutely. So fam, if you've been around, especially Instagram, not just Instagram, but I see you guys pop up. I hear your voices. Mila, you are 
please correct me if I'm wrong in terms of the actual title, but you're the, like the social media manager for OCD Set Free. Is that correct? correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So she does amazing informational reels. There are different infographics that get put out, but we also get to see Aaron's beautiful face as well. And Aaron, I think I saw you, I, at least I saw OCD Set Free. Maybe it was a combo of the both of you going live. They're like, OCD Set Free is going live. I was like, you go, ladies, you go. And so I'm so excited to have you here today. And if you don't know what OCD Set Free is, it is a practice. It's based in, would, I know that you work in more than just Georgia, Aaron, but would you say it's based from the home base is in Georgia for OCD Set yeah. Free? Yeah, the home base is the metro Atlanta area, but we definitely service people across Alabama, Florida and Georgia in terms of the lived experience side. And then in terms of training clinicians, it's across the Northeast. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So even though they have that satellite office in that greater Atlanta area, they also have a great social media presence that isn't exclusive to just the clients that they service and that are really having access to hope and recovery from OCD. And and in fact, the name OCD Set Free, because I love the name. And it's such a, it's such a perfect, because you can feel such bondage, you can feel so trapped, so isolated. And the fam here knows it because many people are sitting there and just looking at their loved ones and going, oh my gosh, yeah, we're stuck in this. So how did you come up with the name OCD Set Free? I love it. Yeah. So essentially, I trained in Louisville, Kentucky at the Louisville OCD clinic. The name has since changed. And so the director there, she actually offered intensives to individuals who had OCD. She also specialized in race-based trauma and then also PTSD and other disorders as well. But people were coming in from all over the world to train at her clinic, and she's amazing. She is an African-American woman. Her name is Monica Williams, and definitely had an opportunity to see through her clinic how debilitated those with OCD can become, Mm -hmm. and then like how well they can get as a result of evidence-based treatment. And so I also saw that 14 to 17 year average play out and just kind of decided that I wanted to reduce that average in terms of how long it takes to get OCD treatment and assessment even. And so my home base has always been here in Metro Atlanta for my adult life and decided that I, I wanted to focus my practice on OCD treatment just because It was just so rewarding to see Mm -hmm. people make such great changes through the treatment process. And so decided that I would name it OCD Set Free because, you know, that's what individuals want. They want to be set free from being in bondage as a result of having OCD. And it's definitely been a labor of love. And I feel like the name resonates with people when people call me or call us, call the practice. They're like, Oh my gosh, I want to be set free. Yes, please. <laughs> it's all in the name, you know. Yeah. I'm glad it resonates with people from a marketing standpoint. But then when they get through our doors, just to actually experience that, it's just rewarding to see that for them. Great. And Mila, how did you find out about OCD set free? What led you to finding Aaron and finding this practice and the work that they were doing? Yeah, so I do have a background in psychology. That's what I studied in school. Mm -hmm. I'm also a creative. So I'm an artist, a poet, a writer. So those two things have always intersected for me. 
But this work in particular is very personal because I am connected to the OCD community through a very dear loved one. Mm-hmm. To the point that Aaron made about how long it can take to actually get proper diagnosis and hence access to effective treatment, that has definitely been the case with my loved one. And so I think that I love the work that OCD Set Free is doing, that Aaron is doing, because it really is saving lives. Mm -hmm. And I think it's such meaningful work because of my personal connection, but also my background. And also just as somebody who is a creative person and being in touch with my emotions and kind of understanding OCD in that context, you know, that it's it's not just some kind of clinical condition, but there's humanity in it and there's emotion in it. And that really is the part that's important. And that's that's the connection I feel with Erin and the work that she's doing is that she really sees the humanity and the pain that exists with OCD. And I think that's why this is such a wonderful collaboration because I feel like it's not just about education. It's about really reaching people who are in pain and who want to be set free. Yeah. You guys can't see it because this is audio only, but Erin and I were like full-on therapist bobbleheads while she was talking about humanity because it was so moving. And and you said that so perfectly, Mila. I mean, the reality is this is a humanity issue. And it is painful. And it can very much so branch out of trauma. It can create trauma. It, it is loaded with really, you know, in in just even understanding what OCD is, it's loaded with that obsessional doubt, with those intrusive thoughts. And and it really wreaks havoc, not only on the loved ones, the sufferers, the warriors that are battling it day in, day out, but it impacts the entire family. It impacts the community you have, whether you're in a dating relationship or whether you're married, whether you're raising kids, whether you're helping your parents, adult parents. And it can just manifest in so many different ways. It can also just be your chosen family. It can be your godfather, your godmother, anybody. And it's really a cruel disorder. And it really does hit and target that humanity that is so sacred and and why these human connections are so important. And so I think that's a really, really good way of saying that and appreciate that. So because you have a loved one with OCD, were you initially kind of just looking for resources? Are you in the Atlanta area and heard about OCD Set Free there? Or how did this collaboration, this dream team come to be? Yeah, so I am in the Atlanta area and definitely once, you know, it came to our knowledge that this was something that was very prominent, definitely was looking for resources and wanting to educate myself. I I think I just even since starting this work, I really have been learning so much. Yeah. And it's been so helpful in this context. And so I think just through social media, both on Facebook and Instagram, just kind of, you know, things come up. And I think this has just been such a helpful resource. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? I don't know when I, I could probably research this and find out a little bit more but for a hot minute there 
and I would say still a little bit, but not as much as it was even a year ago. Hashtag intrusive thoughts was just trending like crazy. And sometimes it was on point. Sometimes it was actually talking about what we would define as an intrusive thought. Sometimes it would be like, hey, I dyed my hair. Oh, that's weird. Intrusive thoughts, right? So it wasn't exactly hitting the mark, but it caught on like wildfire on social media. And I think this is such an important point for us to look at because social media, though it may not be everyone's medium for gaining information, it is the go-to, especially for younger generations. But even nowadays, if you're a news organization, whether you're using X or Threads or whatever, the way to disseminate information, it really has become a tool. To the point that even the conversation we're having now is because social media is such a tool, you have OCD Set Free has the social media department, which Mila, you're doing great work with, and Aaron pops on there as well and provides hope bombs and all sorts of great information as well. And so social media, whether people want to admit it or not, is a source of information. But social media, even though not all the information is always accurate, right, we always have to kind of consider where people are getting their source information and if they have research-based sharing or if they're kind of just coming up with their observations, which isn't wrong. They're allowed to share their observations, but it doesn't mean how they're defining intrusive thoughts, how they're defining OCD is how we would look at it as this really crippling disorder. And so I think that social media can get a bad rap, but also there's so many people that are like, I didn't realize I was dealing with that. And just hearing someone share their authentic, transparent experience they go, oh my gosh, I connect with that. That's totally what's going on here. And so this community is much like you, Mila, in that they come and many, many folks have found us just going, I need more support and resources. And so it is really, really important. I love that you're doing that. And so what were some of your initial goals? I'm sure you probably already had the platform trying to like be up and running for social media, Erin, in terms of OCD set free, but what were your initial goals in starting this collaboration together and kind of thinking about where do we want to see this go and grow? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think since our inception or the inception of the platform or being on the platform, we have always been focused on the educational side for all people and, you know, just really wanting OCD set free to put out accurate information because I think that's a an unfortunate part of social media is that sometimes people are getting misinformation about what OCD actually is. And also reducing stigma has been a, a major focus of ours from the very beginning. I would also say even prior to working with Mila, we have been focused on diversifying mm -hmm. what content is put out there about OCD just so that all people can turn to our page and feel like it's a resource, including communities of color, but all communities, honestly, just wanting the OCD population in general to feel like, okay, I can see myself represented in this page, no matter how I look, whether it be I have a, a disability, whether I am culturally different or practice a different religion. We've really tried to be intentional 
Mm-hmm. And so that's been a, a great reward for me. Prior to Mila, I worked with another designer and social media person who wasn't a person of color. And she was so amazing about just diversifying what was out there. And so I just really appreciated that. Yeah. And I also appreciate that in terms of working with Mila as well. So. Yeah. And Mila, coming in from the side of going, I want to learn more resources so that I can be aware and helpful for my loved one. How did that shape your voice and your artistry in sharing with OCD Set Free? I'm sure it had such a fundamental impact, but would love to hear how that really blossomed in the work that you were able to bring to OCD Set Free. Because you you know what was going to be helpful for you. You're also going into it with the mindset of other people may need this or they may need something else. And so how did that impact your filter, really, of how you were going to amplify your voice in this venture? Yeah, I think at the core of any work that I do that's creative kind of goes back to what I said initially where I think it's so important to appeal to a person's humanity and their emotions and visuals have the power to do that. But I think what I'm always thinking when I'm creating this content is thinking about individuals and wanting them to feel seen and wanting them to feel understood. So thinking about whether I'm thinking about individuals with OCD or family members or the community at large, Mm -hmm. like what is going to help people feel understood and feel like their experiences matter? And to what Erin said too, I think because of all of the misconceptions and misinformation out there, whether it's misrepresentation in media and entertainment or in literature, whatever it is, I think that is also another motivation because as somebody connected to the OCD community through a loved one, I have realized more and more just how many biases and misconceptions I've carried all these years. And I think even not recognizing what OCD was and therefore not being able to support my loved one in the way that they need it, you know? And so I think that is a huge motivation as well, is really wanting to put, like what Aaron said, put the truth out there, put accurate information out there. But I think, again, at the core of that, though, is the humanity that's in that and making sure that when somebody encounters OCD set free, it feels like a safe space. It feels like a welcoming space. And like what Aaron said, for all communities, but I think again, for that experience of suffering and pain and making sure that that feels held and that feels understood. Because I think honestly, for me personally, that's something about OCD that I didn't really fully understand Mm -hmm. until I started working for OCD set free, to be honest. Like, I think the the painful suffering part of OCD set free is something that I think the general public doesn't really understand at all. Right. And then when you add more layers to that, it's it's really difficult to get to that part of things. And so I, I think that that is something that also really 
influences and informs the work that I do, trying to bring that to light, trying to bring that out into the open. Because I think, again, if somebody doesn't know that they have OCD, but they're suffering, they're in pain, maybe they're scrolling through and they encounter something that resonates with them. And maybe they don't know yet, but it could be a a point of entry of like, that resonates with me. Wait, what? That's OCD? Really? You know, and eventually helping somebody get access to being set free. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I think it just, it reiterates the point and something that I was thinking about even, I, I think about it often and I mention it often on the podcast. We definitely discussed it when we were talking earlier this year, Erin, about ERP Kaleidoscope, the importance of what you said there, Mila, with creating safety. And for so many folks, the the conception or misconception rather is like having things color coordinated and organized and having these quirks and preferences, that's OCD. And so you're right. I don't think they do get the distressing nature of it. But if you're like, what if I accidentally hit somebody with my car? And I'm not sure if I did or not, but I'm terrified that maybe I did. What if I'm a monster? That's scary for anyone to say out loud. But then we also have to acknowledge the safety. We have to acknowledge the privilege of certain folks, even if they get to a point where they are able to verbalize that, the consequences that could arise from that aren't fair and equal across the board. If we were just to even, we represent three different ethnicities here today. If all of our dads were having hit and run OCD, which is that, oh my gosh, what if I hit somebody with a car? And they were to come out and verbalize, hey, I think I'm, I'm, I'm worried I may have hurt somebody, I may have killed them, I don't know what happened. That is going to be taken in different ways. Same context, same content. And so it is one thing to say, yeah, it's scary to say some of these things out loud, but it's really just an intrusive thought. It's another thing to live the reality where it is not an equal playing field in terms of just living your truth. And so I think that's a very, very important thing to consider when we talk about creating safety, when we talk about being able to access treatment, when we think about even being able to lean into your family or your community and go, hey, this is where I'm struggling. Because that's where a lot of people are going to start. They're going to start in their family unit or with their roommate or their cousin, somebody that they're very close to. And likely that person has been absorbed, whether they want to be or not, into what OCD is doing because, again, it impacts the relationship, it impacts the community. And so it's such a huge, important piece and really where we wanted to start today in talking about social media as a tool for creating that OCD awareness, that education, increasing access, but also increasing safety. And I know that that is a huge, even as Mila was saying it, Erin was like, yes, I could see it on her face. And it's such an important piece, too. So would, would you want to add to that, Erin? Because I'm sure you have so many different thoughts when it comes to how do we create safety? What does that mean? I mean, you know, I just want to go ahead and say just I'm so grateful for Mila. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, you just said on my face, you could completely see how I appreciated what she shared about safety. Because, like, I don't, I don't have to explain 
like Mila can go in if she she knows exactly what needs to be conveyed. Mm-hmm. I'm just so grateful that she understands this discussion around safety for BIPOC communities because she does this every day and her own advocacy work. And so I think she's just able to convey, she's an amazing writer. So she's just able to convey just the importance of that safety in so many very creative ways and meaningful ways. Yeah, You know, I think this conversation is very interesting because safety can be communicated through social media by all practitioners. I think that's the important discussion that I like. I think we can have because yeah. the second that somebody looks me up, they know what I am about. Yeah. And my page, my website itself, it doesn't have a whole, a ton of stock images, right? But some, some websites do. And so safety begins there. Mm-hmm. Right. Like who's being represented at this practice? Am I safe based on these images? Does this website say it's okay for me to even reach out for help? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that's just my call to action for all clinicians is to just really think about, okay, what does your social media convey? What do your websites convey? Like, are you saying, hey, I, I want you here. You belong here. You deserve to get better. I want to help you get better. I, I don't want to say that you, a whole community, are outside of my scope of practice just because I haven't worked with a ton of you. Right. Right. Or people that look like you. Right. It's so hard to make that first phone call, Nicole. You already know. Yeah. Like that first phone call, even to to search for OCD treatment providers. Yeah. Yeah. Or intrusive thoughts to even begin to think about making progress is such a huge risk for these clients. Yeah. So by the time they pick up the phone, they want to know that, okay, like, I'm I'm allowed to be here. And so that can end through all marketing content. Yes. And not just allowed to be here. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I think language matters too. It's it's very important in terms of who are we talking to? Are we talking in an us them or are we talking to we all of us right and i see this particularly even in in, this is an example that can be applied in a lot of different ways with neurodivergent affirming treatment and care right i have autistic children and i'm very aware of it whether i i I don't think about it actually it's just embedded in how i practice how i treat how i communicate and I would hope, and I think kind of what I'm hearing from you too, Erin, and that is I would hope that we could communicate, we, we, all of us could communicate in a way, whether we are putting mindful thought into the images, the words, the impressions that we're giving, even on check your gender form, all of that, like this comes up. And so even the forms themselves, having forms available in more than one language, these things matter because it, it implicitly, even if you're not trying to, 
it implicitly draws some lines and says, oh, this is our space, right? And when you're in that much pain and you're surviving, you're looking for a lifeboat and this is our space. Doesn't feel like you have a chance there, right? And and that is, it's, I got cold chills because it just breaks my heart. I mean, I think it's so, not everybody gets it. And you know what? You don't have to get why that feels so cold, why that feels so isolating for folks. But here, folks, when they say it is isolating, because even if you don't get it, that means there's a problem to be solved. There's a communication to be had about how do we bridge in our understandings so that more of the family here has access to treatment and resources. And so you guys are really doing a beautiful job of creating just a very, yes, artistic through the words, through the images, through the reels, through the fashion. Y'all, if you guys, I, I just got to brag on Mila again on, and let me know <laughs> making you feel awkward. So dumb me too, but Mila's got style. So does Erin. The ladies are looking beautiful as always, but they didn't even know they were like in sync. They're color coordinated, but in their own with a mixture of like styles and patterns and textures. And I'm here for it. And so, Mila, in terms of how you even choose, how am I going to represent this? What what vibe am I going to give this? How do you decide going into, because it is, it's hard content. You're talking about hard content. You're talking about the intrusive thoughts. You package it in a way that is approachable. And how do you do that? Because these are hard concepts. These are hard. And, and you are fighting the misinformation of people thinking it's just organizing things to be compact and preferring things a certain way. So how do you approach that process to be able to discuss these hard things, not only in your inclusive way, but in a way that feels approachable to anyone going and saying, I need help, I need more resources? It's a really good question. I mean, I, to be honest, I think a lot of like creative work like that is intuitive. Yeah. You know, for me, a lot of the times it is based on how does this feel? You know, I, I know I talk about feelings and emotions a lot, but I think, again, that's so core to our humanity. And that really is what people are seeking help with ultimately, right? Those feelings of discomfort, the, the feeling of uncertainty or lack of safety or feeling misunderstood. And so I think whenever I sit down, it is, it is a process of trial and error, but I think a lot of it is just trying to create things that, that feel, like you said, feel approachable that there's a warmth there, that there's a, a sense of we're trying to pull you in, you know, like we want to be here with you mm-hmm. and we want you to feel like you can talk to us. And so I think a lot of times when I, when I sit down and I'm trying to create, in my mind, it's like I'm thinking of what would make me feel safe? What would make me feel seen? What would make my loved one feel understood? What would make my loved one feel like this is a place where they can come and not feel judged and not feel like something is wrong with them, but that they're accepted here, that they know that they're not going to be condemned, but they're going to experience compassion. They're going to experience support. They're going to experience thoughtfulness and understanding and hope while also addressing the reality, the reality of it being very 
painful, the reality of, of feeling misunderstood, the reality of feeling like you have to mask what you're really feeling and experiencing out of fear of what other people are going to think about you, you know? Yeah. And so I, I think such a huge part of putting the education and content out there is trying to cultivate compassion, helping people both within and outside of the OCD community understand that what OCD needs is compassion, not just stop or you need to do this or you need to do that, but more like, okay, people need compassion. They need understanding. Because I, I, again, for me, even in the process of learning, yeah, it's more and more is recognizing how important that element is of just acceptance and compassion and just holding space with, with our loved ones who are struggling, that there's no quick fix. There's no kind of like as awesome as ERP is, you know, I think my understanding of that has really, again, that compassion element of, okay, like, this is great and it is really effective, but if there's not the compassion and support there, then it's too terrifying. It's too scary, <laughs> yeah. you know? So I think that, again, in all of the work, it's like just sitting down and trying to hold all of that in my mind and my heart as I'm creating and trying to intuit my way there. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it <laughs> does. It's beautiful. I got chills again. One of the things that really, really resonated with me too, and so again, reiterating this point for folks some people are going to be like I know this as a reality more than I ever would wish upon anybody else other people are going to be like really and so people are coming from all different aspects but in terms of even what you were saying about masking feeling like I need to be this representation or this idea of who you think I am when we think about that in the context of OCD because if we're like, what if I'm actually this monster that maybe could have hit somebody back there or whatever the thing is that the person is struggling with, that's one piece of it. But we add on another layer when it's like, also, I need to be a representation of what you're going to accept, what I feel, what I've gotten feedback from in the here and now in terms of who I need to be for you to think I am a safe person. And we see that we see it not only within different cultures. We see it within different sexualities, different religions, different uh, genders, different name it, name it, name it, name it. Any group or community, we can see how that neurodivergent community absolutely understands masking as well. And so it's it's already so hard to not burn out when you're trying to live up to the expectation, fearing that your truth is somehow, for whatever reason, going to put other people on the defensive and that you have to prove that you're a good person. And then you add the layer of if that person is also struggling with OCD, like it cannot be emphasized enough how difficult, painful, exhausting, demoralizing, defeating, isolating that can feel. And so I think when you said that, when you were talking about that piece, I was like, oh, the, the idea even of masking goes so, so, so deep. And it really circles back to why it's so important that ultimately, because when people are clicking on that, liking, sharing it, watching it, even if they're just being able to settle and understand something a little bit differently for themselves about OCD or ERP or any of the resources that you guys are sharing, 
it also is that I'm not alone. I'm not alone. There's other people, even if I don't, even if I'm scared to like it, what if somebody sees that I liked it? I know on Facebook you can come sometimes see that so-and-so liked this. And I'm like, great, great. I'm glad you like ham sandwiches. That's great. Uh, but, you know, like we get more content than we need. And so people are now very aware that there is some kind of cyber trail. There's some kind of paper trail on everything they're doing. And so even if they feel like I can't share it, I would get comments from this person or that or I'm afraid. Even being able to watch that, see that and go, but you know what? I thought I was the only one that did that. I thought I was broken. I thought I was wrong. And what I'm realizing is we, we are better together. And that is, it's such a profound gift to realize they're not alone. And that is really what you guys are creating through that advocacy and through the work. And it's so, so powerful. So I just want to thank you guys for what you are doing there. And it is, it is so important. It's also, and we were talking about this before we recorded, it is also, and maybe even back in emails, because we've been corresponding for a, a bit of time here. But when we look, not only seeing representation matters, but seeing cross-cultural, different ethnicities, people banding together and going, hey, it's not you against me, it's us against OCD, it's OCD set free. We don't see a lot of diversity in even the presentation of what's put out there for social media content, right? And so one of the things that I love is that it's not just if I'm white, I work with the white community. If I'm black, I work with the black community. If I'm Asian, it's we all work together. You and me against OCD. We, we. And our culture, it matters. Our, our roots, they matter. They bring meaning. They're sacred to who we are, right? But it should not be that hard to find when we're going out and looking for information the community reflective of everyone because OCD does not discriminate based on race, gender, sexuality, religion, color of your hair. It doesn't, whatever. It doesn't, it does not discriminate. And so can we talk about that piece? Because not only have you guys been working on really setting the scene even before anybody says hello or calls but even through the imagery through the words through all of that to be inclusive but also increasing the cultural competency and the diversity even in teams that are working and presenting information together you want to take that one Mila? sure i i mean i think that aaron talked earlier about the stigma around OCD, but I think it's also just like a stigma around mental health in general, right? Mm. Or all communities, but I think each community has its own history of stigma, whether it's, you know, Asian communities. And as you mentioned, I mean, gosh, there's like 70 different countries right. in, represented by quote unquote Asian, right? You know, and they have the Black American communities, African American communities, Latin communities. I mean, it's just there's unique cultural competencies within each one of those, right? Right. And so I think that it's like you can't obviously please everyone and you can't obviously represent every community when you're not from all of those communities. But I think 
that initial entry point, right? Because I know for me, it's like when I'm scrolling through or I'm watching a commercial or I see an advertisement for a movie, there's that just visceral response, Mm -hmm. right? So, and I think people underestimate that. I think people a lot of times, well, what, what does that matter? It's just a picture. What do you mean? I mean, the, the research in psychology and sociology, right, is very, very concrete and clear that that type of representation matters. And so with something like OCD, that's already so misunderstood. Mm-hmm. If, if all that you're seeing when you're out and about, whether you're scrolling through social media or looking at entertainment, and if you don't see yourself represented, you're not even going to know to think or question is this something that I have or need help with? Mm-hmm. Because you're not seeing yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that that visual aspect of things and making sure that we're creating content that is an initial exposure or point of entry is so vital mm-hmm. to people actually being able to access recovery. And I think that that is the power in social media. You know, I know people have a love-hate relationship with social media. But to your point that you were talking about earlier, it's just a reality of modern life. Mm -hmm. And it's a tool that can be so powerful and so meaningful for communities of color having access to recovery and treatment for OCD and mental health in general, because there is so much stigma around it. Asian communities in particular, I mean, sometimes it's just like, it's as if therapy and counseling don't even exist. Because mental health issues don't exist. And so I think that if we are increasing, just seeing that, just seeing in the context of OCD, seeing images that are representative of BIPOC communities and communities of the global majority, that inherently is going to increase the opportunity to receive effective treatment and receive or be able to seek out recovery. And so I just can't emphasize enough you know, to those who are listening, just and, and to Aaron's point too, that 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 representation with clinicians, whether websites or social media, it really, really does matter. And obviously not just the imagery, but the actual seeking out and obtaining actual cultural competency, you know, right. sure that that the imagery is also supported by trainings and increasing one's cultural competency. You know, there's a lot that I even I have to learn about my own community because of the stigma and the lack of representation and the lack of research and the lack of knowledge mm-hmm. even around what Asian American communities face in the area of mental health. You know, I, I think it's it's something where because of the erasure and because of the lack of research or representation. I think sometimes even within our own communities, we're having to educate ourselves and educate each other right. about what what it means to struggle with mental health or what it means to struggle with OCD. Yeah, I think that's really well said. Anything you would want to add to that, Erin? Yeah, I mean, I think Mila beautifully addressed the lived experience side, but I feel like the other part of this conversation is also about on the clinician side in terms of just this cross-cultural representation that is displayed by Mila and I both being on the OCD set-free Instagram page. And Mila and my marketing 
person, my other marketing person have just been very adamant about, hey, we need to put both of us out there because obviously for those with lived experience, they need to see this, but also clinicians need to see this, right? Because there are so few clinicians of color that are able to treat OCD. And so we've just been, we've tried to be really, really thoughtful. You know, I don't, I don't love social media, but get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like it, you know, it can take up a lot of time. It's work. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But, but I, but it is something where I even want to convey to clinicians that, hey, like this community is here for you as well. We want you to be a part of this family as well. I was just at a, a training as a faculty member for IOCDS. And so we were kind of talking about entering these different conferences as professionals and showing up as one of maybe 10 <laughs> in, in an environment like that. It can feel a little intimidating. And so just this cross-cultural representation here is, is so important for all sides because we do want clinicians of color to even think, oh, this is something that um, I could be interested in. And, 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 and I just don't think that clinicians of color really know that, that this is something that can be enjoyable, rewarding, that they have access to. So we're just trying to address it on all sides. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point. And I've heard that feedback from both clinicians and people with lived experience going to the conference and going, okay, so I'm not seeing, you don't see, and it's not that you're saying, I have to have this many people that look like me or share because we might really disagree with each other and look just like each other but the but the point is the message that it sends is is this a disorder for white people and that's mental health at large too mila and it's not even just with ocd but you made that point and i think that's so great you know i am a white person i grew up in a christian household where mental health was really seen as separate from, and I think that's good in the sense of mental health and your your faith relationships are separate. But often in growing up in this kind of region of the country too, the message was, if you have mental health, then it's because you're not right with God. And we talked about that a little bit over email too. I think you called it churchianity, I think. And I that's really stuck in my brain because I'm like, oh, I love that term. But for so long, it felt postured against religion. And I was just talking with Justin Hughes on Scrupulosity OCD a couple months ago. And uh, he was mentioning, and we talked about the statistic where it was something like 33% of people that do have lived experience of OCD have struggled with scrupulosity, which isn't always just faith-based. It can be morality-based, but is often a stirring that we see in people's religious faith, their value-driven faith relationships. And so even seeing that, like where OCD or not, and OCD can attack right to the heart of that. Yep, you're going to hell. Yep, you did the bad thing. Yep, yep, yep. But mental health at large is seen almost as the enemy at times. 
I do think that a lot of progress has been made since even when I was a kid and kind of the thoughts about mental health there. But at the same time, there is so much room to grow. And this shows up in different communities, different family communities, different ethnic communities, different religious communities, gender communities, the LGBTQIA plus community, like you name it, neurodivergent communities. And so it is so important to be able to understand, yes, not only is there stigma with the intrusive, this is why it's why it's intrusive. People don't like these thoughts. These aren't like welcomed images. These aren't like drinking a fruity something out of a coconut on a beach kind of thoughts. These are scary thoughts. And so that's one thing. But also then looking at mental health at large, having anxiety, going to somebody outside your family for help, depending on what the situation is, whether we need to take it to the school and ask for an accommodation or or work something here, or whether we are like, oh, no, I'm afraid there's going to be legal ramifications. If I've been utter out loud, then I've had this thought. I'm guilty as charged, right? Like, just by thinking it. And so it's it, it's a real challenge. And mental health, there's certainly a stigma around it. But across the board, too, it's, it's fairly whitewashed. I don't know if that might piss some people off saying it that way, but it is what it is, right? And so in terms of being intentional and thinking. I I think we talked about this a little bit last time too, Erin, but sometimes I, I would like to challenge people to think, you know, what can I do to create a shift or, or create a posture that's open, right? And so I like to challenge people with that. But often it's interesting. I'll hear people go, yeah, so what do I do to change that? And it's like, well, you can come up with ideas on how you can engage and open your posture. I mean, I can too. But that's part of the problem. We don't need to necessarily be able to tell other folks how to be open and just being empathetic to that. We we need people to just act on it, follow through with that. And I think people's intentions are good. So I just want to say, like, for the most part, most people's intentions are good. But we're not always aware how our posture creates an openness or a blocking off and an isolation to our neighbor, to our other family member here in the OCD family community, to people with lived experience, to other clinicians, to the research. And so it is really, really important to be mindful of that. And I am, I'm glad that you're able to represent that, even if social media isn't your favorite, Erin? And I get it too, because I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't. I don't. Mila gets it. She is. She's on top of it. And and I love it. But yeah, I mean, being able to get that messaging out, even if it's clunky, it doesn't have to be anything more than an open posture. And how do we do that? I think we can all figure that out, can't we? How to open up our postures? Yeah. I mean, there, we can think of some practical tools, but part of us is also like, should I need to point that out? I think people are just afraid of making mistakes. Yeah, that's true. I, I think that the part of it, will I say something wrong? Even at OCD Set Free, like as we are thinking about being diverse and representing all communities, right? Like representing individuals with different religions and disabilities. We've tried to do that through our images. and. 
you know, and cultures. And so, but, but we don't want to stereotype, right? And we want to make sure that it's appropriate. So I just think, you know, having conversations and having an openness and a willingness, that's a place to start as opposed to, I just don't get this very often. I don't get this population very often. So I'm going to always refer out, right? That that's not, I, I mean, how do you begin to learn, right? You're referring out and how do you begin to learn if you don't make those mistakes, you know, right. and, and how do you begin to learn if you, I guess, are not really open to getting that feedback, even if you do make some missteps, mm-hmm. I think that can be a challenging mindset, maybe. Yeah. That's a really good point. And if you think about it, it's it's ironic, too, because I don't know about you ladies. I'm definitely a recovering perfectionist. And with my own lived experience, I've had to practice making mistakes. And so what we learn in this line of work, right, is that the making the mistakes isn't the problem. How we compulse around it is the problem. And wouldn't you know, there seems to be a parallel. Like if we're not willing to put ourselves out there and we're going to make mistakes. We're human. We're not perfect. But it's using those mistakes well and realizing I don't have to then pulse or have this reaction where I just am going to refer out and we're not implicitly trying to say we're not safe. We're just scared. But at the same time, it's okay to lean in, to embrace that uncertainty, right? I mean, that's kind of the whole thing. When we think about like it from an ERP standpoint, that is a big piece of the puzzle, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we, we made a mistake. I want to say during a CD week <laughs> with somebody's really beautiful poetry. And that was called out publicly. Obviously, it was intentional. We, it was just a, an editing error that we accidentally missed and so it initially was like oh goodness but it's like okay wait no I have to practice what I preach here like I'm gonna go in I'm gonna fix the error Mm -hmm. I'm gonna apologize and I'm gonna show myself some compassion here because this is what I would encourage my clients to do yeah and so I just think it's a part of the growth process you know yeah yeah I think that's such a great point. And I mean, if ever there were a band of clinicians and a sect of mental health that could really knock this out of the park, it's OCD. There we are. We're going to do it. We're going to do it so well. Got to lean in. Yeah, we are. We can even distress isn't the enemy. We can deal with the anxiety of being vulnerable and, and even occasionally putting our foot in our mouth. Yes. Yeah. I know that you and I were at a training earlier this year, Erin, for ICBT and Mila. I was curious in terms of inference-based CBT, if you have much exposure to the exposure. I always laugh when I use exposure because exposure and response were But if you've had much learning around ICBT, because I, I have ultimately a point where I'm going with that, but I just wanted to check in first and see if that was on the periphery for, for some of the advocacy work you're doing? No, I, I am not familiar with ICBT yet. Yet. So, <laughs> I want <wanted> to <laughs> But she's not close to it. Look at that open posture. I like it. I see you. Well, the reason I asked, because 
ultimately, without getting too in the weeds about ICBT, it talks about kind of the story behind what's going on. This what if, it's this, it's this very, what we would call intrusive thought in the ERP model, this obsessional doubt. It's really something that lives completely in the imagination, but it's a story. And I have thought a lot about just even thinking about it from my own family's context, but intergenerationally, how we can see how stories and really oral tradition, but how stories pass down and create really a framework for us to understand mental health, for us to understand religion, sexuality, gender, this, that. And so I've like on a meta level probably nerded out of going, ooh, if I zoom out for this and think about this in terms of a story context, because so much of our modern day culture, even though it's more techie now, has emerged out of oral tradition, has emerged out of story. Some that's going to be like completely accurate, I'm sure. Some of it's going to be embellished because just like me telling a story, I can get real detail oriented, but it might get fairly on point, but I might embellish from time to time. And in terms of just how stories can play into treatment, and even as we talk about this sense of safety, this sense of community, this sense of togetherness, the roles that even some of the framework of our storytelling is coming from, because it really does impact then how we're likely going to apply this logic and how we're going to apply this experience into OCD, into these obsessional stories for the people of lived experience. Do you have any thoughts on that, Erin? I have definitely seen several accounts go into ICBT and maybe not even explicitly saying this is an ICBT topic or based out of ICBT. And it's, it, it has been very fascinating, but we just haven't begun to think about how we want to infuse that into our work at OCD Set Free yet. I'm not saying that we are opposed to it, right. but we're just dabbling in a little bit of ICBT with my clients. And I, I actually have found it to be very helpful, but in terms of just our social media page, we're just not there yet. And that's totally fine. I mean, that's that's fair. And I'll emphasize too, see, that yet the open, the open stance, all the gold stars, it's what creates the difference. But also, it's okay. I would imagine part of the strategy for any one person trying to really feel more connected is we can, in certain circumstances, divide and conquer, but it really takes a concerted effort and push to break through these walls. And so if it feels like, man, there's a wall here and there's a wall here, just getting general OCD treatment, just getting into general mental health, then even isolating it down to whether it's ERP or ICBG or medication or any of that, because those all are going to have their feelings. Certainly people come into a conversation about medication support with lots of big feelings too that are going to be shaped by their family story, by their community story here in the Midwest. There's some, it's kind of a mixed bag in terms of what I experienced when I lived on the West Coast in terms of openness to medication. <laughs> they're pretty open on the West Coast. The ladies are smiling. They're like, yeah, I get it. And so being able to access treatment, what's the carrot? What's the buy-in for folks? 
so that you can go back to living your life, whether that's in your faith relationship, your family, if it's going Christmas tree shopping, or you think, oh, I could never do that because of the amount of anxiety and distress and some of the themes that maybe my loved one struggles with. It's like, oh, what we would give to just even do the basic chores together if OCD wasn't sitting there clouding and hijacking and threatening these really dire consequences if we don't listen to it. And so I think it is, it's a really good point in terms, of, too, of just going, yeah, what, what matters is whether we're putting out this particular theory or this particular theory or anything else. I think what matters more is just even having the conversation, right? Because if we can sit around and talk about mental health, then we're helping decrease that stigma. Decreasing stigma can be as simple, even if you don't agree with something, you'd be like, I don't agree with that. Okay, fine. But we're at least we're having a conversation. Yeah. 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 So powerful. Yeah. So as we come towards the close here on our time together, and I so appreciate both of you and what you've been able to offer, I just want to check in any final thoughts that you would want family members that are listening. We certainly have folks with lived experience and clinicians and researchers that will tune in as well. But any kind of parting thoughts that you would want to leave people with? And then, of course, I will remind y'all, fam, that I'm going to have links to OCD Set Free and all the dynamic work that Aaron and Mila are doing together at OCD Set Free. Over at OCDFamilyPodcast.com, you can find that on this episode's blog post. Just I'll hook you up, okay? But any last thoughts from you guys in terms of what you would want folks, if they're walking away with one thing here, what would that be? What do you think? I mean, I think, you know, I've, I've said it throughout the podcast episode here, but I really just do the work that I'm doing for OCD Set Free. I just really want people who are living with OCD, whether they've just started their journey whether it's untreated so far or they've been on their journey for a long time, just that their pain and their suffering matters to me and I care about that. And that's really why I'm doing what I'm doing is I really love the opportunity and I'm grateful for the opportunity to hopefully help people feel seen and feel heard and feel like their journey matters. And I know that might sound lofty, but that that really comes from a very authentic place in me. And so I hope that if they encounter our work on Instagram, that when they see it, they will feel at least a little bit more understood or feel a little bit more hopeful that there is a way to be set free. And even though it might not be easy, that it is possible. So. Feeling hope and feeling seen. Love that. For you, Erin? Yeah. Just that there's space for you. If you're listening, right, and you are wondering about entering treatment or navigating support groups or attending OCD conferences, whatever it is, that the OCD community has space for you no matter what your identity is. Mm -hmm. And my parting words 
are just that I want people to feel like they can enter and feel celebrated Mm. uh, as a result of their identities as opposed to being othered. And that I think just you deserve to slow down and take time to address your mental health and that maybe you haven't seen a clinician that looks like you. There are a couple of us out here. (laughs) And just, you know, for everybody, whether you're a person of color or not, like you deserve to get relief. Yeah. You do not have to suffer. That is the one thing that I can say to my clients during that first meeting I have with them. When I do just a a brief 45-minute consultation to see if they're going to pursue treatment it's just that like you are gonna get better like it's totally possible to get better you don't have to suffer mm-hmm. and I would say because it is a family podcast it's the same thing for family members even you as a family member you deserve to experience relief that this beast OCD does not have to hijack the whole family and your loved one deserves relief and you deserve relief. And so go get it, all of you. Yes, there is room at the table, fam, and join us. I'm really glad you said that too, Erin, because I think so often we can get in this space, and would love to kind of hear your thoughts on this as well, Mila, but we can get in this space where we worry like, oh my gosh, they're suffering so much. Yes, it's hard on me. But I need to help them. I need to do this. I need to sacrifice my needs to be able to support them getting through whatever they need to get through. And it's not one or the other, y'all. It's all. All of us can get through it. Your needs matter as well. And so I really love that emphasis. And I, I'm sure you can speak to that too, Mila, of even being in that zone of like, yeah, I mean, I feel and I wish that my loved one was not hurting, but I'm also hurting and I need to be able to have that support as well. Yeah. You know, something that as you were saying about that, I thought of too is even though I personally don't have OCD, I think everything that I've been learning through the work that I'm doing for OCD set free, it can help everyone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in the sense of, I'm not saying that to minimize anything, but I just think that so often, again, that stigma, right? It creates this separation of like, well, that's you over there. And that doesn't apply to me. And even I think when, when we talk about cultural competency or understanding race-based trauma or whatever, it's like when we learn these things, when we open ourselves up, to learning these things and engaging with these topics, I think the thing that always sticks with me is that there are pieces of each of us and all of these things and all of these experiences. And again, that's not to say that therefore I understand what it's like to be a Black woman living with OCD. I don't. But I think that when we can find those commonalities and those places that intersect, Mm -hmm. there's so much power in that. It's not to minimize. It's like what Aaron said. It's to celebrate those differences, but also to recognize where those differences can help us to connect with each other. And so I think even through this process of learning, even with my loved one, it's like what I'm learning is also helping me to and to grow. 
So to your point, it's not exclusive. It's not just like, well, that's their struggle and mine is over here. While we have individual differences, that the learning and learning to connect with each other and understand each other, it, it, it benefits everyone. And I think that that's something that it, it's, it's so nuanced and it's, and it's a difficult thing to talk about because I think sometimes people feel erased. Well, it's like you're saying that my experience is the same as yours. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not trying to erase your experience. I'm not trying to say that it's the same. I want to understand. Yeah. And understanding means we find a personal aspect that helps us to connect with the other person. So I think just even through this process, it has been difficult to navigate at times. And I, I'm definitely somebody, I think if I'm honest, it's like I'm somebody who can be very naturally accommodating because I'm so sensitive and I'm so like emotionally attuned. And so I think learning where those the boundaries are and how to balance things. But again, I feel like the work, the steps toward OCD recovery and treatment have taught me mm-hmm. how to have those boundaries and how to be compassionate and supportive without being overly accommodating, without enabling, you know? And so I think that there, these are all skills that anyone can benefit from. And I think that that's something that I didn't recognize until I started working for OCD Set Free, where it's like, oh. These are just good life still. Yeah, no, I love that. And to your point too, and I think you are extremely mindful. And so I'm going to hazard a guess that the community is also going to be able to say, yes, we don't feel like you're stamping out our experience to share yours. And I'm so glad you shared yours. But I also think it's, it's an important reminder for those of us with lived experience too. Like, yes, what we experience is hard, but I can say even as a mom, my son has OCD. Oh, what I would do. Oh, what I would give more than even for myself to be able to, if I could change that for him, if I could protect him from having to experience that. And sometimes the feeling of watching your loved ones suffer and feeling powerless, especially in the beginning before you have more of those resources and tools to change it, that is no easy role that is those are not easy shoes to fill and so well I definitely hear you being mindful of the differentiation between those with a lived experience and the family members also y'all we gotta hand it to the fam here because those are not easy shoes to fill and when you feel powerless and so many folks feel powerless especially in the beginning especially when they don't know it's OCD and, and, and they're just kind of living in the havoc OCD is creating. That is a very painful, difficult position to be in. So it's one of the reasons why I started this podcast. I see how important the support people, the loved ones, the chosen family are, and we are better together. So it is an exclusive. It's not just for you over here that maybe has OCD doing its thing and, and whatnot. It's for all of us. These skills, this help, mental health is for all of us and support is available and there is so much hope. So you're right. And I celebrate that with you ladies. And I just, I thank you so much for the time coming in and taking just the time to really share about the dynamic work you guys are doing and really continuing to bring hope and spread that message of hope 
with the OCD family community. I really appreciate you both. Thank you so much for having us, Nicole. This has been great. And thank you for being interested in OCD Set Free and just this conversation in general. And thanks, Mila. Yeah, thank you so much. I feel honored to just be able to share this space with you all. And I am sincerely thankful to be able to get to do the work that I'm doing for OCD Set Free. It's just, it's really meaningful. And I do also, I just have to say that I had an opportunity recently to hear somebody who in the past had worked with Aaron and just the impact, the positive impact of like changing this person's life. And I think that that I felt so grateful to be able to to hear that. But also I just got to give a shout out to Aaron and OCD Set Free and just the OCD community and clinicians who are helping people with OCD. It's just even again with my loved one, just seeing the way that lives are changed and truly being set free. It's just, it makes me feel emotional because I think like when you hear somebody express how grateful or how seen they feel or how helped they feel, and it's just, it's so powerful. So I'm just really, really thankful to be able to, to be within this community and to know that this community exists. It's so necessary and so vital and, and quite honestly, saving lives. Yeah. Well, we're better together and we're so glad you're here too. There is always room at the table, fam, for everyone. And our table has been able to expand much larger and really be so much more inclusive because you guys and all the folks that are being so mindful about the importance of everybody being affected by this. You're helping break down that stigma. This isn't just for some, this is for everyone. And so thank you for what you guys have done for everyone. And thank you, fam, for joining us. Thank you for that. Oh, fam. Ah, I really love having these conversations with you and with our esteemed guests. And I just want to take a moment to thank Aaron and Mila one more time for sharing a bit of their time, especially during this busy holiday season. These conversations are really so important, and I really love the work that OCD Set Free is doing in our field. And as we discussed, it's even bigger than OCD, because if we zoom out just a bit more, we can see how the broader conversation surrounding mental health is so important. And it affects all of us. And you know, this idea, this theme around visibility, it really speaks to me in a really tender way. In fact, I'm reminded of how when my husband and I packed up our pup and our firstborn and we moved away from California almost 10 years ago, which is crazy to think it's almost been 10 years, we really, really struggled getting established with a community here in the Midwest. And we tried. We, we plugged ourselves into different groups and activities and you might find this, uh, you know, real surprise, <laughs> shocker, but I'm fairly extroverted. So I was OK with putting us out there and trying to make fetch happen. All right. My husband, who's fairly introverted, even found himself stretching himself to really try and cultivate community. But we really, really struggled. We came into a community here where most residents had lived here their entire lives. Their friends had been their friends, their lifelong friends, their parents and their friends' parents are friends. Their grandparents grew up together, used to go to school together, used to play t-ball together, whatever. And as much as we tried to integrate ourselves into the fabric of community, there really was a rawness to the pain that for all our efforts, we felt invisible. 
unseen, unimportant, forgettable. And when you realize, hey, it feels like we're the only ones really kind of putting ourselves out there and trying to initiate these hangouts, inviting people into our space, our home, our lives, and there's not that reciprocity, will you stop prioritizing those efforts? You pull back or away or you shut down and the pain grows because visibility matters. Being seen matters. And while we did establish friendships, and I get it at the time, a lot of us had young kids and, you know, we barely had time to brush our hair, let alone get together with lifelong friends, let alone our new ones. In many ways, it wasn't personal. I truly believe that. But I'll never forget when I received a text once apologizing for this last minute ask, but any chance our family wanted to come join this other family for lunch one weekend. I'll never forget the tears I cried because somebody saw us, because we were visible. And so while this example might look a little bit different from the call to action that we discussed in this episode, when we're thinking about diversifying and being mindful of the postures that we're taking, I have an emotional attachment to this concept of visibility. I have a profound regard for what it means to be visible. And so with our conversation today, I also feel the importance of promoting safety, understanding, and compassion through our stances. So for today's intrusive thought segment, which is the application segment of my show, I want to take the time and really brainstorm some ways in which we can do just that. You know, Mila said something toward the end of our talk that really stuck with me. She was speaking about the importance of understanding, quote, to find a personal aspect to connect with another person, end quote. And I was thinking about, you know, how do we do this across all different areas of our lives? I mean, I think it takes an investment of time in building that sense of trust. It takes authenticity. It takes consistent practice and effort. And fam, I don't know about you, but to me, it feels like this can often feel like a lost art in this day and age. There are so many folks that can't even hang in a conversation, a disagreement, let alone really understand another person's point of view. This isn't always the case. But it's definitely more than a wayward trend in today's polarized climate. So what can we do to help really see each other and understand one another? Well, this may sound silly, but I got to thinking, yeah, how do we increase visibility? I mean, when we attach it to these emotional meanings, it can be hard to make sense of it. But what about visibility in a simpler sense, right? For example, when I was a kid, I love to ride my bike. And we could stay out until the streetlights came on. Yep, I'm that level of old. (laughs) But riding my bike around, especially as it approached dark, how could we increase visibility? Because if you think about it, yeah, visibility, seeing the kid on the bike, pretty important for supporting safety too, for supporting understanding that there's a person here on the road and we could inflict or cause harm that we didn't mean to if we didn't see one another. So how do we make ourselves more visible? Well, for me, back then, we used reflectors. I'm sure they still do. But I'm just thinking of my childhood bike, and I probably had like 50 of these little hot neon cylinders that would just spiral around the spokes as I would turn my wheels, and 
they basically had this like flashy tape on them that reflected light that would come from what? Headlights or other sources. Some folks, when they go riding, might wear a vest or a jacket, might have some kind of reflector on a helmet. But then there was more to it than just these different ways that I could be responsible and communicate what I needed as the rider. I needed to stay attentive. I needed to be aware of my surroundings, but I needed to communicate whether through my voice or Maybe that good old-fashioned arm gesturing, which some of the kids these days are going to be like, I don't even know what you mean by that. Yes, you used to. Even in a car, you could hold out your arm certain direction. It would signal to another person, turn left, I'm going to turn right, I'm going to stop. Perhaps a bell or a horn that could be sounded stating, hey, I'm here, leave room for me. And when you think about that, the communication can go both ways. Because if you have someone in a car or on another bike, they can also hit their horn or holler from the car. I have lots of memories of running down the boardwalks of different beaches when we lived in California. And anybody that had to share those lanes with the bikers, the bikers would get so annoyed with us walkers that like to take up a lot of space, not always thinking about the bikers, you would hear as they approach, I'm on your right, I'm on your right. And so my challenge to you, fam, is to think about these reflectors, these ways that we signal visibility, promote safety communicate and try to understand one another. And I want to challenge you this week and and really even as we launch into the new year, I want to challenge you to think about a reflector that you can share. This might look like looking over your social media account or website and brainstorming what can you add to further expand your reach to see who's popped out here. How can I invite them in? This might look like texting that friend or that loved one and just letting them know, hey, I see you. I was just thinking about you. You matter. This might include looking at the year ahead and thinking about how you can collaborate with more practitioners or lived experience warriors from a group that maybe you don't have much experience working with. Whether we're talking culturally, religiously, sexual orientation-wise, gender, political, or even differences in age. Whether we're talking about neurodivergence or difference in support needs, how can we extend out a hand? Whether it's just for a wave, or maybe even shaking on a new project, a new initiative, a new paper, to increase visibility. Because we're better together, fam. So think about it. And I challenge you to even write it down, be it on a sticky note, a note on your phone, something you write up, pin up, whiteboard, whatever. Stick it in your car, magnet it to the fridge, but write it down. Because when we make that goal, that reflector, more visible, <laughs> then it helps remind us. It helps maintain that sense of visibility. So think about it, fam. How can you bring some intentionality to this reflector? How can you add to the visibility? And then, fam, let it shine. Because if you're shining, and I'm shining, and we're shining, then together, it looks like this next year could be pretty bright. So happy new year, fam. And I can't wait to see you, haha, see, in the year ahead. Thank you for joining me and our OCD family community. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please like and subscribe to the OCD Family Podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Did you find this content helpful? Please consider leaving a review. The more people that know they're not alone, the better. For more information regarding today's podcast, please visit ocdfamilypodcast.com and remember to join the email list while you're there. It will provide you with the most up-to-date information, resources, and the download on the family chatter. Oh yeah, nothing says family.
creating light and a hope that's so bright. That's right. I went there. And you can too at OCDFamilyPodcast.com.